Hello and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR. And so this week we are we are touching on a topic that I do not believe we have so far in the uh, 90 or so episodes we've done here at QSR Uncut, which is catering. Um, so I, I think our esteemed uh, guest here in a second, as I introduce him, will obviously get into this a lot more. But catering has been a, a very interesting ride here, you know, the last few years, really ahead of the pandemic. I think it was you know, probably one of the bigger topics we were writing about. You know, everyone was really kind of racing to that space. And then things got a little dicey as they did for everything, just, you know, based on group sizes, office spaces, so on and so forth. So we're joined this week by Mike O'Hanlon. Did I pronounce that correctly, yep. Mike? Yeah, you got it. Uh, <laughs> I pronounce everybody's name wrong, which is just kind of a tradition here. But the chief partnership officer at Easy Cater. So, Mike, you know, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, before we get into it, I'll give you a chance just to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about the company for anybody out there who may not be familiar with Easy Cater. And we'll take it from there. Sure. First off, uh, thank you very much for having me, Danny. Um, Easy Cater has been around for 16 years. We are a food for work marketplace, which uh, means on the customer side, we have office managers, executive assistants, construction crew foremen, factory shift managers, anyone who is using food in the workplace setting, they are our customers. And we're increasingly signing up corporate customers under under agreement to use our food for this comp, or comprehensive platform for doing all their food buying. Um, and then on the supply side, which I spend most of my time, uh, we work with 110,000 restaurants and catering partners. I say that in that way, they're mostly restaurants, but we're, we're increasingly seeing some C stores, some grocery stores, some definitely some professional catering uh, concerns also joining the network and uh, uh, food for work is growing really fast. Catering, like you said, went into a ditch and now it's it's back and it's bigger and stronger than ever. I can share with you metrics there, but that's that's the company in a nutshell, growing fast and um, and seeing a lot of growth both uh, by expanding into new use cases, new verticals. We used to be very white call it white collar kind of office setting centric. And now the pandemic really forced us, Hey, Danny, like where are we going to find business? Because no one's going into those offices, but there was a lot of people still going to work. Right. And, and food is part of that equation. And on a per head basis, food is now a bigger part of that equation. So I can talk in any direction there, but that's the, that's the 10,000 foot and, and I'll pause. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned there a little bit about metrics. You know, I know you all released the feeding the workplace report recently, which, yeah. you know, there's this giant, um, you know, green, green font type here that says <laughs> business catering is back and bigger than ever. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the, the average person, you know, would look at that go, you know, I didn't think that was true. Um, so tell us yeah. what you found, because I, I think that's a, it's a very important thing for us to consider, you know, and understanding kind of what the the post, you know, view of, of what happened looks like here. Yeah. So it's back. I'll share with you a little bit of the journey we went on um, in March of 2020. So here we are capturing a, a large cross section of business catering. So the catering market is very large. About half of it is business and half is social. 
And so when I talk about Easy Caters Marketplace, it's really indicative of the health of the business half of that large catering market. Um, we hit the pandemic in March and saw the the purchasing through our platform go down by 85%. Wow, yeah. Almost overnight. Yeah, yeah. Like in that three-week period in March. And then what happened over the rest of the 2020 was uh, we recovered slowly. And 2021 um, in agri- in total was, was above pre-pandemic levels for us. And then 2022 was 87% stronger than that. So here we are, much bigger than we were before the pandemic. And and that's not easy cater touting, you know, thumping our chest. That's saying this market is really, really rebound. Um, the other metric we shared, which is is interesting, I think, is we power the online ordering uh, for catering on about half of our 100,000 restaurants that we work with. And yeah. so that's capturing uh, both business catering, but also social, you know, feeding the little leagues in your local area, that kind of activity. And that is back 37% last year over 2021. So, sorry, 35%. Um, and so that's a mix of social and business having really very little to do with Easy Cater's own success, but rather a really nice uh, indicator of the health of the market. So we're out telling this message is like, hey, we're pr- you, you all were pretty excited about catering to your point, Danny, before the pandemic. It's here and it's waiting for you. And, and you know, the, the dynamics of that is large. The orders are large. They're quite profitable and they're not cannibalistic. They, you know, we hear from our restaurants, they're, they're quite incremental and not robbing from the other channels. So um, that's the message. Yeah, you know, and kind of going to the why of this, you know, there, there's something in here that I, I read and, you know, personally um, see this <laughs> happening in real time, which is... Yeah. You know, this idea that, you know, remote work, um, you know, of course, it's it's more of a relevant topic than it was three or four years ago. But I would say that the, you know, thing that that we see most often now is, you know, this hybrid workplace, you know, we're we're personally that way, you know, and and to that point that, you know, you make in the report here that hybrid work often really involves a lot of food (laughs) because, you know, and and we we do that, too. I mean, we have a lot of... um, you know, we're here in North Carolina, so, you know, a lot, sometimes we'll have Bowberry biscuits from Bojangles kind of in the morning, mm. you know, and if we do have some kind of, you know, meeting set up, you know, it usually involves, you know, a catered order from something, you know, nearby bagels, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that, that concept of, you know, maybe if you're, if you're only say two, three days a week or whatever office that you work in, you know, now is catering becoming more a part of that because of, of that sort of narrowed down, you know, event? I, I think it is. Um, so tell I, us what you found there, because, I mean, that, that does seem to be a real anecdotal thing a lot of people have seen. The anecdotes are, it's true. Yeah, you, you've nailed it. Um, I think that's the number one reason why the market is so robust is um, it's not quite bribery. Like, I'm not going to personally incur an hour and a half of commuting to get a $12 lunch, but it's rather a rallying point, right? Like we are, we're, I'll speak over ourselves here at Easy Cater. Uh, we have about 300 employees in the Boston area and we have an office in downtown Boston. Um, and we subsidize your lunch Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And you get an email on Sunday saying, hey, we have these three great restaurants coming in on Tuesday and these 
great restaurants coming on Wednesday. And we got the first $13 of your order, right? And, and, and then you, you see a uh, curated assortment from each of those restaurants and, um, and you order exactly what you want. So this example is, am I being bribed to come in on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? No, I get a lot of energy from coming in. I want to come in sometimes. I don't think I'll ever come in five days a week ever again in my life, right? So how do I pick the couple of days? Well, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the company has signaled, hey, for people like me, let's pick these two days. And that way I can come in and get that wonderful collaboration, the productivity lifts, the morale building, the culture, uh, the culture fostering that kind of comes with uh, in-person contact. And my company spent $13 to get all of that, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And uh, the nice benefit is we're not throwing away food. I said I'm coming in. I ordered exactly what I wanted. No administrator was in the middle of all that. And I ate exactly what I wanted. And I, and, and, and no, uh, you know, no office managers trying to guess like that's the alternative, right? You're trying to guess and buy trays of food. Um, what I just described was our relish, relish product, Danny. And so we use our own product and it's really flexible and cost effective. And it's driving a lot of, uh, productive behaviors at, at our, our corporate clients. Um, the other dynamic I think is the tightness of the labor markets over the last three years, which, you know, uh, you're seeing a little bit of easing right now, but still labor markets are tight. And I think food has moved from a perk to, to a requirement, certainly in many industries and in many companies, it's just, it's kind of moved on the ledger. Like, yes, we are going to feed our employees, you know, and then, and then the answer is like how much and when and how, right. And so I think we're seeing that, um, we look at building swipe data and, and, People are not in offices as much as they were. That's just a fact, right? Yet food spends way up. And so, you know, that's the data we look at and get pretty excited about. Like, this is sustainable. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really mind looking at it as being a bribe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, fine, it's fine by me. I mean, I got to come. That's the thing is, like, I got to come here anyway. Um, well, sure. <laughs> sure. It's you a know. yeah bribe for your uh, happiness, I guess. But Yeah. You know, it's funny, we, we have like a water cooler in the break room um, and we went through like a, a little transition and they were saying like, do you need the water cooler? And people lost their mind um, about not having the water cooler, <laughs> you know, and so they're yeah. like, okay, all right, fine, you can have the water cooler, you know, but, um, but you know, there, there's an interesting diagram on here that, um, you know, it's kind of just, you know, you have to speak on it is say, you know, yeah. that most people have to work at work, right? So you know, when the data that you pulled, 49% of people were fully on site and 46% hybrid, you know, you really have 5% who are fully remote. Yeah. And, I, and I think if you, you know, if you ask most people, despite, you know, kind of all the headlines that we, you know, saw in recent years, I mean, I think that that is true. You know, I, I don't think that the fully remote world is nearly as big as, you know, maybe some people you know, might think it is, you know, just coming out. Now, again, I, I agree to your point. I mean, there are very few people in our office who come in here five days a week. Um, but yeah. They're, but they're still coming here. So, I so think, you know, it's. It, it, I don't think that, that that shift was as dramatic 
you know, as maybe the shift outsiders saw. Yeah. I mean, the shift, it gets a lot of headlines and it's real. I mean, 5% isn't nothing. Right. And, and I think yeah. of my, I think of my 25 year old son, who's a computer developer who loves a uh, computer programmer who loves to ski. Like he does not have to come in. He's still within distance of his office. So he does go in once or twice a week, but there may be a future where he says, you know what, I'm going to live in Colorado for a year. And like, he's a, he could move into that 5%, but I, I'm just describing uh, a pretty small percentage of the population, particularly when you think about factories and distribution centers and construction people, like you have to go to those jobs, right? And so, yeah, most most of us are in that camp have to go or you and I and, and a lot of like knowledge workers want to go occasionally. Yeah, I mean, I have... Uh... You know, I've got small children, so I definitely want to get out. <laughs> you know, during totally. the, I mean, during the pandemic when we didn't have a, cho- a choice, you know, I try to close the door, but I mean, yeah. that, it just it just was not not the same. It was it's terrible. super hard. It's super hard. Uh, you know, and it's it, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of cool kind of uh, case studies in this report. Um, I'm not really familiar with what SeatGeek is, but, you know, they, they had this kind of comment on here that they made it optional, you know, but once they said, you know, here's lunch, you know, five times the number of people started showing up. And again, you know, I, I see that here too. We, once we offer food, usually get the kind of remote people, you know, they make an appearance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of an interesting point. If we were giving our own testimonial about our own company, it would be very seat geek in nature. You know, our tu- our Tuesday and Wednesday subsidies work. We go from, um, you know, having 10, 10 or 15 people roaming around the halls and on a Monday to uh, 60, 70, 80 on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So it's, it, 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 it it's great. Uh, and like super cost effective. Right. And, and what we're seeing also is like, not that like there's tons of corporate cafeterias out there, but there are, industries and businesses uh that are not near a lot of restaurants like we're we're spoiled here in boston i can walk i'm in eight blocks from uh 50 restaurants but that's not always the case and so corporate cafeterias can be prevalent particularly if you're a medium to large uh business those cafeterias are struggling to figure out like how do we how do we make our existence cost cost effective it's a ton of fixed costs to build to maintain to staff and then you're, you've got this workflow that or, or employee flow coming into it that's super difficult. A, it's small, and, and B, it's it's super uh, difficult to predict. So we're seeing some companies lean away from that model and more into a flexible food solution, particularly as they're thinking about like, oh, we're going to build another campus. Do we need a cafeteria in that? We really, you know, we're enjoying the easy cater slash relish experience. Maybe we can just lean into that and have a more flexible solution. So that's been an interesting dynamic um, around the edges of what we do. Uh, but yeah, we're, it's, uh, we're watching that. And me, I, I spent a lot of time talking to restaurants, QSRs, uh, uh, amongst them. And that gets me excited thinking about like bringing restaurant food into applications where they're not already like, you know, basically restaurant food replacing either brown bag lunches coming in or, or uh, an older school kind of version of a cafeteria or a canteen uh, situation. So All right. it's fun. Yeah. I mean, let's, I guess let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, the, 
kind of move into this section here about business orders being you know really high value customers. I mm. I like this um, quote from Jason's Deli in here because it makes I mean it just kind of makes logical sense. Um, you know where they're talking about their average catering order serves twenty one people. You know, yeah. but it only take but it only takes one person to order catering from you to get your brand in front of 20 plus people who may not have even had it before. Again, yeah. that's it's very logical, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, but not no less important, right. Um, in terms yeah. of what, what that guest profile looks like, you know, and how you could reach them this way. Our friend Gracie at Jason's deli, I'll be honest with you. She was a little reluctant to join our marketplace Jason's Deli is a great brand. Um, if you're uh, if you're familiar with it, sort of in the middle of the country, and they do catering super super well um, already without us. Um, and and like you know, are are you guys going to be incremental? Are you going to bring me into places I'm not already getting into? And then she she tested with us, and what she found was she was getting into that warehouse that she had been trying to get into for years. Um, so. Um, buyers, business buyers of food, the old model of a manila folder full of dog-eared menus, and you have two or three relationships with great restaurants around you, that is, um, they're now buying so much food and there's so much craving for variety. That solution doesn't scale anymore for that, for that buyer of food in the warehouse, uh, it's not that that warehouse uh, manager didn't doesn't love Gracie or Jason's Deli, but they just need so much variety and so much food. It, it the, an aggregator, which is you know what Easy Cater is basically doing, makes a lot more sense. Have one relationship with us, and then you know from Gracie's perspective, let us knock down those doors for her and get Jason's Deli that share of 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 the food buying um, over there. Um, and then her other point there is the orders are big. Like our, our average order is 350 plus. I think we feed 20 to 25 people on average. And so right. one person said, Hey, I like easy cater and I love Jason's deli. I'm going to order from Jason's, but the other 19 to 24 people are sitting there like, Oh man, I kind of forgot about Jason's deli or, Oh man, uh, I've never had this before. This is awesome. And there's one near my house. I'm going to go after our soccer game this weekend. So if you're a savvy uh, marketer or business person such as Gracie, like you're thinking, wow, I'm in there and I wasn't already. And and B, I'm getting all these halo effect uh, type uplift. And you can, they, you know, uh, folks, uh, restaurants can do things to measure that halo effect. They can add a coupon to the order as it goes into that, um, into that business. So that, you know, that person who's like newly falling in love with Jason has something to do, like, you know, come by and we'll give you a free, free dessert the next time you're, you're buying a sub from us. Um, uh, the savvy restaurants kind of get all of that. And it's those second order benefits that are, are pretty fun to talk to restaurants about because it's not always top of mind. Right. Yeah. And there was that other point in here too, about kind of it being a little bit more consistent to seasonal trends, which, you know, it, it reminded me of, of kind of like when you become a, an adult and, uh, <laughs> and the summer, you know, unless you're a teacher like my wife, but you know, the summer is just, it's just a hot time of year to go to work. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you're not, you're not off anymore. Um, 
you know so it's like the to the point of of uh sort of what this occasion is it, it isn't really um tied as much to sort of some external points that you know maybe some other just typical trends would be so if you can kind of get a cadence of uh, food being delivered to a business consumer it's gonna you know it's not really gonna matter all that much what's happening in the world i mean there's a stat in here about um you know 78 percent of corporate customers ordering at least once a month which i thought was really high um yeah, that's yeah, a great number and 32% once a week. But again, July and August, I mean, that the, there's no difference um, when you're an adult working in an office than, than there is if it's October, which is kind of depressing, but but true in the uh, sense of, uh, you know, being able to create a very um, consistent, you know, base profile here of, um, you know, a customer ordering, you know, catering. So it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting point. I think a very valuable one. Yeah. We're, we had a lot of internal discussion about the, the data you're looking at there, Danny, because in some extent, like things are quite seasonable when you look at them in a micro sense. So what I mean by that is, oh, it's, it's, um, it's teacher appreciation day. So we, we see a spike in orders from schools and then it's, uh, I don't know. Cinco de Mayo is a, an extreme situation where we see a massive spike in Mexican orders. Um, but when you take uh, in aggregate all of these businesses having different seasonal spikes and 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 dips in aggregate for that restaurant being surrounded by a bunch of different use cases and verticals and businesses, what you start to see is a consistent. All right. It's Tuesday. It's time for one or two easy cater orders. It's Wednesday. It's time for three or four, and then Thursday it's time for one or two. Right, and that's that's what it starts looking like. And for a restaurant to dabble in catering, and 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 I actually think of QSRs in this respect. You, you can't. You don't want to dabble because it's a lot of uh, a lot of special attention needs to be taken to getting good at catering. And so if you if you spend the time, the resources. I'll give an example. Packaging. Packaging is different for catering, right? And so researching that, getting it right, making sure your branding looks great on it, make sure the integrity of the food lasts, but then you're not getting enough orders and, and you're not like really good at it and, and you're not getting the return. So what we try to help our restaurant partners is cross that chasm from doing it occasionally to doing it consistently. And we see a lot of gains, um, you know, selfishly for us, we're trying to have an excellent customer experience. And what we see is the restaurants we send a lot of volume to have higher reliability because they get good at it. So it's, it's, it, and in there is that consistency point that, that you're keying in on. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about getting good at it because I think that's probably something that, you know, a lot of restaurants would initially, you know, if they're out, if they don't have a huge footprint in catering be, a little bit nervous to just add a channel yeah. to what's become a, a very, you know, omni-channel world already. You know, they got to worry about delivery. They got to, you know, worry about people coming in, picking up where it's going, all, all these different things that were, that were, especially in QSR, were on the table in 2019, but not anywhere near the level that they are now. So, you know, how do, you know, if they are going to want to add this stream, you know, yeah. where, where should they kind of, focus in, you know, to make sure that they're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but actually right. going to 
improve brand sentiment because to your to our earlier discussion with Jason's Deli there, I mean, if that happened and it went poorly, <laughs> you know, it would <laughs> yeah. you know, it would have the reverse effect. Of course. Which has always long been one of the many fears of third party delivery. But um you know, how, yeah. so how does that all happen? How do you help there, you know, just in terms of kind of coaching yeah, the brand? I, I think of like how to get good out of it at it in four buckets. Um, the first one is delivery. Delivery is really hard. Um, I'll start there. Um, so delivery is about three things. One is making sure you're on time. So in this world of catering, not catering, off-premise, you know, maybe I'm a QSR and I already work with DoorDash. This thing that we're talking about is different. It's higher stakes. So no one's ever gotten fired for a DoorDash delivery being 15 minutes late to your house with you and your partner and your and your two kids, uh, you know, waiting for your burger and your fries, right? But executive assistants and board board uh, feeding a board meeting or a pharmaceutical salesperson who has 15 minutes with a with an ecology specialist to to talk to them about a new therapy and the food's not there, that's like much more serious, right? So it being on time is is hypercritical. Uh, the second thing within this delivery topic is making sure the order is complete, whether you're a QSR who has their own delivery capacity, so it's an employee making that delivery, or maybe you work with um, a third-party delivery provider, or in uh, I should I should start, uh, Easy Cater, we have a delivery network that we've built that's purpose-built for catering uh, called Easy Dispatch. And and that's been a big success. So about 25% of our restaurants use that for, for all of our orders uh, or most of our orders. But in any event, making sure the order is accurate before it goes out the door, easier to do when it's your own employee. The handoff to a third-party driver is where we see a, a fair amount of error. So nailing that is is super critical. And then the third thing within delivery is making sure you're telling the customer that the order is on its way, right? So like we always ask for two data points. This is like kind of motherhood and apple pie in other uh, areas, but simply your food is on the way. It's left the restaurant and then your food has arrived. And that's something that folks expect to get on your, on their app in every other setting. So, you know, make sure it happens in the, in the context of a, of a business catering order. So all that is for delivery. Uh, it's hard. Um, we have a solution. We There's also um, a growing number of third-party, uh, you know, smaller than Uber Eats, smaller than, than DoorDash, but third-party delivery networks that you can plug into. Also a, a growing piece of this industry, Danny, is, is um, it's delivery software. So if you, if you get to a certain scale, you know, engaging with a delivery software provider that lets you manage your drivers and have complete visibility into them is something that we certainly recommend. And, and we, we integrate with, with those folks to get that data from them. Hey, the driver has left, the driver has arrived, right? So that's all delivery. It's complex, but uh, it's super important. I think the second one is online ordering. Like, one of our data points in that report is 74% of our 
74% of those surveyed say they, they like to order online, right? Or, or, that, or they do order online. 74% of orders are coming online, right? So again, the manila folder full of menus is getting thrown out. So you have to meet the customers where they are. And an online ordering s- solution that does not confuse, that instills trust that this is going to go well, um, and has the tools and features that you need uh, because it's not on demand, right? Your folks are typically planning for a meeting that's happening one one to many days out, right? And so the software needs to be able to handle all that. But the number one thing is this is a high stakes order. So this online ordering solution can't be clunky. It can't time out. It has to be super straightforward and streamlined to instill that trust. So I would focus there. Self-servingly, we have a solution there called Easy Ordering, but there, you know, there's other applications out there as well. But like nail that, uh, which is really important. The third one, and I probably should have started here, is menu. So if you're a QSR, you're super good at having folks come in, order food, in and out, average ticket, twelve to sixteen bucks. Great. Now, how do you how do you scale that menu to make it super easy to buy for parties of six or twelve or thirty or three hundred? Right. What we recommend is is two things. One is have individually packaged options. I'm thinking about Subway and I'm thinking about Zaxby's, two QSRs on our network that have essentially box lunches, but they also have large format, um, large format options as well. So in other words, a tray of sandwiches, but also a, a box lunch, right? And th- there's certain use cases where a box lunch is absolutely required. Like we, we, we have a lot of uh, college football and professional sports. Think of uh, players getting on the bus and just grabbing a box or they grab, you know, anecdotally, they grab two or three boxes, some of these big, <laughs> big football players. Yeah. But like, that's not a trade catering situation. That's a box lunch uh, kind of situation, right? And you don't want to miss out on that. So having both tray and individually packaged items is really good. And then, the uh, the other thing on their menus is be aware of the growing population of vegetarian, vegan, and gluten free, and I you know I call those three the vetoes. You want to avoid the veto on your menu, right? So have something for those three people to dig into, right? And um, you know again individually packaged salads that's a good option if you're you know if you're Subway and you're trying to figure out how do I get to that you know get to that. Um, that buyer or give them a reason to not say no to you. Right. And so to the extent your brand lets you have options in those three buckets to avoid that veto vote. Um, and my fourth big bucket on what, what to focus on is, is sales and marketing. I, for the, um, for social, for social catering, I think your local store manager is your biggest ambassador, like presence in the community, uh, getting the word out, you know, Old old school wise, uh, table table. Um, what do you call them, Danny? Table tents, the things in the restaurant that are on each table, right? Yeah. Um, the, the 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 stickers uh, on the door that say simply "We Catering." Consider having a catering sales force. Um, we're seeing that's a that's an area of the industry that shrank mightily going into the pandemic, and we're seeing brands, big and small, start to hire uh, catering salespeople again, which is great. Um, so that's all great for like local presence and knocking down doors. And then, you know, 
consider joining marketplaces and let let the extended reach one of our killer apps and 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 the app that we grew up on or the use case that we grew up on is the traveling person who does not know the restaurants in your area but needs to do a business meeting in that city so think again like medical device salespeople, architectural supply firms they're going in they're making a sales call they have to feed it they don't know what's what's nearby that's a very hard customer for a local restaurant to market to so let marketplaces do that for you right and so that's a lot of the value that that we add um into that equation so I just said a lot. I should have paused more. <laughs> Sorry. It's like delivery menus. Yeah, it's like delivery. It's sales and marketing. It's menu and then getting online with a good, strong presence. And, and, and I would say so, you know, so, uh, social is part of the sales and marketing, not to forget. We're seeing more and more restaurants do like fun, interesting things online uh, using social. And, uh, I, you know, I would add that to your, you know, your first 90 day kind of marching list if yeah. you're a QSR thinking about going for it. So kind of to build on what you've been talking about here, I'm going to, I'm going to read, you've, you've got kind of a list here of the most ordered things on, mm. on easy cater. I think just fun for people to see, but sandwiches, number one at 31%. So that's almost three times number two, which is Mexican at 11%. Italian breakfast, Mediterranean pizza, barbecue bowls, chicken, and American. That's kind of the, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised chicken is not higher. Um, I, <laughs> I, I would imagine it's probably going to, probably going to move on up here. And I think, I think like, you know, as you have more chicken finger restaurants, that probably is going to get bigger. But I, I totally agree. I, um, Chick-fil-A does super well. I already mentioned Zaxby's. Uh, we have a small brand called Cowboy Chicken. That's more the rotisserie style, but I totally agree. Uh, chicken is hot It's and 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 heating up, getting better. Well, I, was, uh, I was just at a, uh, a Bojangles restaurant in Florida. That they It's like a new model of theirs that they built, and they had a big catering sign, um, and they talked about that being kind of a push of their, of their new location, and and they were getting into chicken fingers, um, so yeah. it was just a easier kind of thing for them. But so the the top five categories um, included in easy cater orders. So number one is packages, buffets, and bars, thirty three percent. Beverages right behind, and then salads, desserts, and box lunches. They're kind of uh, bringing up the rear. So. I would say of those that surprised me, desserts being that high it seems like a hard thing to cater. Um, I guess it. I guess it depends on what you're catering, but uh, but yeah. yeah, just just some interesting numbers there. I think kind of fun to look at. Um, it is, you know, I, I've been really pleasantly surprised by burgers in the last year. We we launched a company called Smash Burger, and they've absolutely killed it. Um, burger bars are really popular. Smash Burger takes the build your own approach. So yeah. imagine a really tight package, the heat, and everything stays in. Burger, 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 burger in a box, right? But then all the, all the uh, top, all the potential toppings and the sauces, like rather, again, like simplified online ordering, rather than have the customer be tortured to build the burger online times thirty people, right? Let's get a bar, let's get toppings, and like let's create a little fun environment where you can actually build a burger while you're while you're hanging out with your your fellow employees. So they've yeah. taken that route. 
Um, Red Robin's been good at that for a long time. So burgers are pretty hot right now and they're not, you know, not really jumping off that chart, but they're getting a lot of play right now in, um, on our marketplace. Yeah. And, and another stat I like here that I, I had a conversation with Jersey Mike's during the kind of heart of the pandemic and, mm. and this was what we talked about. So interesting to see it here, which is this individual packaging. They had to, they had to start doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, on an easier sandwich chain, box lunch, individually packaged each sandwich. But, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, an easy cater percent orders that were individually packaged, only 10% and then jumped to 41% that April. Again, makes all the sense in the world. But I think the thing that's important to note here is that it's still at 30%. Yeah, yeah. It's still <laughs> at 30, which means you got to have, I think you have to have both if your food if your food lends itself to having both tray, you know, tr- the opposite of an individually packaged item is a some sort of tray format, right? Um, if you can have both, you got it. You, you you really have to go for it. Um, but yeah, it's still at thirty one. I think um, part of that is lingering concern about many people kind of attacking a tray in in you know in the post post COVID world that we live in a little bit of health concern perhaps. Um, and part of that is we're also finding more use cases where individually packaged items just make more sense in the post pandemic world. So a little bit of is us leaning more into industries and applications where it, it, it sort of has to be individually packaged. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you see, you see smaller cater order catering orders, um, you know, these days, you know, maybe groups of five or 10 versus 30, you know, yeah. and, and I mean, our, our office has far fewer people than it did previously because of some people electing to go remote. And, um, you know, so people being able to cater to, you know, I think the historic mindset was that that had to be a lot of people, but it, it could be 10 people. Yeah, um, it can. It can. Especially in the office setting. You know that, or or at your house. <laughs> yeah, you know if, if that's what you're trying to do. Um, totally, totally. Like, um, I mean, Subway literally de- struggles a bit with the definition of catering because if you think of what they do, they they make subs and they sell a lot of subs, and people all the time come in and order ten subs because they're bringing it back to watch a football game and they have friends coming over. When does that order become catering? Right, like ten subs. 20 subs, 30 subs. Uh, so it's definitely fuzzy. Um, and, and your systems and solutions, you know, need to, need to kind of address that. One of the things, bit of a nuance is during the pandemic, we had to go through our menus and like, there's a lot of unnecessarily rigid formats, like this feeds 12 and then this other tray feeds 24. Well, what if I have eight people or, 14 people, right? And so we worked with a lot of our restaurants to have more flexible solutions that weren't as rigid on on quantities for some of what you're saying, Danny. And some meetings are small and and you need to have an answer for that and let them say yes to you. Yeah, you know, I remember going back in time and the answer was to have like a 40 foot long sandwich. <laughs> and, you, and you think about how, yeah. how, how absurdly... Um, you know, inefficient that concept is, <laughs> but, but that was yeah. the thing. I mean, I remember going in there and seeing that like on the wall, you know, order the 40 foot for your party. And it's like, but what is going to be on it? 
you know, how, how in the world are you? Four gonna, gallons of mayonnaise. Right. How are you going to cut this? You know, once <laughs> if I have a group of people that don't want any of this. How am I uh, getting it to my house? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. It wasn't. Yeah. Does it go in the back of the pickup truck? I don't. Yeah. It's, it, it's funny how things have evolved. But, um, but yeah, Mike, you know, thank you so much for sharing. But um, before I let you go, though, you know, if there's anything else you want to share, I'll give you a chance to do so. And also, if there are brands out there who are listening, who are interested in learning more about Easy Cater, um, maybe just getting in touch about how they could, you know, get some more information, you know, what yeah. would be a good place for them to, to reach out. Yeah. You know, I would just stress to them that this is a large, vibrant market and there are large orders that are super profitable that are very incremental to what you're already doing. The one small point, Danny, that we didn't hit on is the labor factor. These orders generally come in, A, they're pre, they come in days in advance, which helps with labor planning, and, and B, most of the production of a catering order occurs between 10 and 11.30. So it's when you have employees in the, in the store but it's not during your rush time. And so in these tight labor times, that makes them even more attractive. Um, so would love to chat with you if you're, if you're on the cusp of thinking about getting into catering or you're ready in it, but you want to grow it. Um, we work with folks all along that spectrum. My email address is mike.ohanlon, which is O-H-A-N-L-O-N, at Easy Cater, which is E and the letter Z, cater.com. And uh, love yeah. to chat with anyone who's listening and we can follow up. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, we appreciate all the time. And for everybody out there who's listening, as always, we appreciate it. And Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Danny. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.